0: You love your dog, you love your car, you love your favorite sports team, and you love your spouse. So what is love, really? You're invited to find out right now. Keep listening for a conversation about true, biblical love with Pastor Mike Fabares, today on Focal Point. I'm Dave Druey. This is Focal Point, And every Friday, we've got a standing appointment with Pastor Mike Fabares to ask him about God, the Bible, and how it all fits together. It's a chance to enjoy a personal conversation with our Bible teacher on a whole range of topics. And if you have a question for Pastor Mike, send it to us online at focalpointradio.org. But right now, let's join Executive Director Jay
1: Wharton for this edition of Ask Pastor Mike. Jay? Well, thank you, Dave. Pastor Mike, you know, when we hear people talk about love, it's usually regarding romance, but we've got a question about what is love in the Bible like, and what is God talking about when he's speaking on love? Yeah, a real distinction between what
2: most people think of when they hear the word love and what the Bible means and what it communicates when it talks about love. I mean, certainly the kind of love we see celebrated at you know Valentine's Day, there is certainly an aspect in the Bible that speaks to that kind of romantic love. Certainly the Song of Solomon uh, celebrates uh, the romantic love between a husband and a wife, and nothing wrong with that. That's great. But if we start to transfer that kind of romanticism to words like God so loved the world and you know that love it meant a lot of those gushy feelings of affection for us, or I think of 1 John 316 that this is how we know what love is, that he laid down his life for us and we had to lay down our lives for the brothers, if we think that means that I do something and sacrifice because I feel these warm, fuzzy, gushy feelings for someone in the church, that's just not biblical love. Biblical love Uh, The most extreme example of that, as it says there in in John 3.16 and 1 John 3.16, is that someone died to meet our need. That was painful. And it wasn't motivated by, you know, fuzzy feelings. This was a commitment of loyalty to someone's well-being. Think about that. Love is my commitment to something that's going to do good and promote some kind of advantage to you. Matter of fact, the next verse is probably very helpful. 1 John 3.17 says, If anyone has the world's good, sees his brother in need, and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Therefore, little children, we shouldn't love in word or in talk, but in deed and in truth. See, it's one thing to say, I I feel an affectionate feeling towards someone, and there's room for that in the Bible. But real love is the expression of my commitment to you through personal sacrifice. It may mean that, that I'm meeting your need, as I like to say around here, by going the extra mile, staying the extra hour, or, or spending the extra dollar for your good. And that doesn't always stem from a heart of fuzzy feelings. It stems from a commitment that I'm here to be a servant in other
1: people's lives the way that Jesus was the servant to us I want to jump off on that a little bit. I heard words like sacrifice, commitment in your explanation right there, but sometimes I don't feel it. And you just talked about feelings. So what do I do if I don't feel it, especially maybe love for my wife or love for my children? How do I get past that? Right. Well, there's a lot of sacrifices that we look at in our lives and we realize that we make them because we're
2: committed to making them. I mean, there's a lot of things that we do that we need to realize it's done because it's the right thing to do. It's the thing we ought to do. I think of the words in the book of Romans regarding our obligation. We have an obligation, not to the flesh, not to do whatever the flesh feels. We have an obligation uh, to the spirit. And and that obligation is to do what is right. And for instance, when Jesus says that we are to, if we love him, we'll keep his commandments. I don't always feel like doing what I'm told to do and what's right But I'm doing that because I'm committed to doing that. I'm doing that because it's the right thing to do. So, I mean, you don't pay your mortgage to the bank this month because I really felt like it. You do it because you're obligated and it's the right thing to do. So I would just say if you don't feel it, you act and you do what's right and you let your feelings catch up. And a lot of times they do and sometimes they don't. But I'm not going to be led by my emotions, which is a real epidemic problem in our society today. I need to be led by the rational commitment that I have as a follower of Christ under obligation because he loved me and died for me and now tells me that my response to that should be, as it says in 1 John 3.16, that I am ready to lay down my life for the brothers. And again, that's just one context, my love for the people in the church of Jesus Christ, but I ought to be committing to the kind of response to God's love that would lead me to be committed sacrificially for the good of other people in my church.
1: Is there a way in there that we can sort of change our feelings? As we're going through that commitment and that sacrifice, is there a way we can change our heart? What can we look to? How, what can we say to ourselves? How can we talk to ourselves in that way that maybe we can change our heart that then changes our feelings and what we're doing and how we're loving people? Right. And I guess I painted the extreme picture that sometimes you've got to do things that— are for the good
2: and benefit of others that you don't feel at all. But there's nothing wrong with asking God to help us with our emotions and our feelings. I think about one thing I preached on recently, not too long ago, is the idea of really recognizing that so much of our feelings are based on what we let our imagination do. In other words, if I'm always thinking, as Exodus 20 says I shouldn't, about the pleasantness or the good or the enjoyment that I might have if I had things that I don't now possess— now, the Bible calls it coveting. If I'm doing that, well, then my feelings are always going to be lacking. In other words, I, I can't enjoy what I've got, whether it's a relationship or uh, you know a laptop or a, a car or whatever I might have, because I'm always thinking of the better thing, the better relationship, the better piece of electronics, the better vehicle. And I'm looking across the street longingly and thinking, now I'd really be happy if I had that. So in a sense, God would love to help our emotions along if we would learn the contentment that we should have, that it speaks of in 1 Timothy chapter 6. In other words, God does provide us things to enjoy, and in that word enjoyment, there is a sense of emotional satisfaction, but let's focus on what we have and... And ask God if we might be able to in loving our spouse or raising our kids or working our job or owning the things and enjoying the things we have uh, materially. It's just ask God to help us enjoy that, to have that sense that, God, you've given me this, this is my lot, and I want you, as it says there in Ecclesiastes 5, to be empowered to enjoy it. And so that's good. And I ask God for that. But if I don't, That doesn't mean I disregard my obligations in those arenas. I I still want to be a good father and a good husband and a good employee, even if the feelings don't come. But I don't think it's wrong for us to ask for those. But to do that, you're going to have to say no to coveting, no to that sense of always looking for something better and learning to put my attention on the things that God has given me, asking God to give me that sense of contentment and satisfaction that these are the things he's
1: allotted to me and I want to enjoy them as God intended Well, thank you, Pastor Mike. That is great. And we're going to continue this subject by listening to a message you gave called Learning the Art of Godly Compassion from the Message, The Balance of Biblical Love.
2: God has called us to become doers of the word, not just hearers of the word, because we hear the word and don't know anything about it. The Bible says that's bad. Uh, God should be using the teaching of God's word, the study of God's word to transform our behavior, to conform us into the image of his son, Romans 8 says. And that's the whole point because today love in our culture is all about trying to make people feel good or being in a relationship that makes me feel good or making sure that I don't offend you. And the Bible says, now wait a minute, that's not what it's all about. As a matter of fact, the book of 1 Corinthians is a wonderfully loving letter, but it's filled with not only encouragement, And love that's easy to receive, but sometimes it's filled often, I mean, punctuated with lots of passages and paragraphs that make us feel uh, maybe not so good, because Paul's telling us the truth that we need to hear. Maybe not just what we want to hear, he's he's trying to help us grow in Christ. Uh, I thought about the fact that we define love in our day as continual benevolence and and constant acquiescence and parenting is all about uh, just loving our kids and loving our kids means we acquiesce and we're kind and we're benevolent and oh junior and biblical parenting much like a, a relationship that paul might have with those that he loves like the corinthians doesn't just involve good and fun and and, and well-received uh, encouragement it also uh, involves some some difficult stuff as a matter of fact the scripture says if you withhold that kind of discipline painful discipline the bible says you don't love your child you hate your child remember that passage, Proverbs 27? As a matter of fact, he says, if you love your child, you will be careful to discipline them, and that's never fun. It's not fun for the giver, it's not fun for the receiver, and yet the point is, a parent is committed in love for the good of that child, and that's what love is all about. And yet some of us may learn that in our parenting, and we do the tough kind of love in our parenting, but we're not used to that kind of love in our relationships because we think, who am I, and we don't really have the right, and I don't want to offend anybody, and it wouldn't be received as love. Well, the Apostle Paul didn't have any, any problems saying, you know what, real biblical love is going to involve uh, sometimes some tough stuff. Love is sometimes going to risk offense. It's just going to. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, if you haven't already turned there in your Bibles, I'd like you to look at this and begin scanning the last six verses with your eyes and see that most of this seems to be a very positive statement. He begins with a series of greetings that he relays, including his own, to the Corinthian church in verses 19 and 20. Then he picks up the pen because the book of 1 Corinthians, like most New Testament books, was dictated to a, what we call an amanuensis, a secretary who takes dictation and wrote it all down. But he picks up the quill now, and he's going to write his own signature and his own statements, and he says this, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. Grace, the favor. I want the goodness of, of Christ to be with you. And my love, verse 24, to you, to all of you, he says, in Christ Jesus. Amen. His final word is, I love you. I want God's favor to be on you. And yet you think back through the book and you think, wow, it doesn't feel like love all the time. As a matter of fact, the book of 1 Corinthians is filled not only with pockets of encouragement, but mostly correction and real hard truths to swallow. And he says, I just want to let you know this is a love letter. I love you guys. That's why I'm saying this. Let's just make that observation based on the context of 1 Corinthians. The first observation we can make about biblical love is that biblical love, it aims at their good. Biblical love aims at their good, and that's not news to you, but we need the constant reminder, because love in our day and in our culture, like I said, is often if I feel good about it, and if you feel good about receiving it, and if I don't offend you and you don't offend me, and that's not how the Apostle Paul nor Jesus Christ nor the Bible presents love. Real love is a commitment to someone else's good. That's what love is all about. You are to be committed to their good, to their good. And what good is he trying to accomplish for them? Bigger homes, better jobs, bigger paychecks, happier times. What was his goal? It wasn't about that kind of worldly, simplistic, temporal stuff. He was concerned that they become more godly. He was concerned that they become more like Christ. He was concerned that against the backdrop of Scripture, these people become more righteous. That's what he was concerned about. And the point is, if I love my kids, that's the same goal I should have. I want their good. If I'm committed to them in love, biblical love says, I want their good. What does that mean? Big house, good job, good education. Well, that, you know, that may be part of it, but the goal is, the real emphasis is, I want them to be what God wants them to be. I want them to, to attain to the fullness, the knowledge, and maturity of Christ. And that's what the Apostle Paul wanted for the Corinthians. And by the way, if you say you love your wife, or you say you love your neighbor, or you say you love your coworker, that's exactly the clarified commitment you ought to have. I really want good in their life but good that God defines as good, and that is my commitment. And if I have that commitment, you love them, whether it's filled with good feelings or not, whether or not it's well-received or not. That's biblical love. Jesus came to love people, and yet that love involved a lot of things that people didn't define popularly, and certainly in our day wouldn't define popularly as love. And yet it was. A commitment to another's well-being. A commitment that aims at their good. Just remind yourself regularly, my goal here is to try and promote good. As a matter of fact, here's a good question for you to ask. You need to ask, what good can I promote in this person's life? Biblical love, it aims at their good. It asks the question, what good can I promote? And when you ask that question, just know sometimes that's going to come with a price tag that hangs off of it. Because it's not always going to be convenient. Keep your finger in 1 Corinthians 16 and turn with me, if you would, to Romans chapter 15. Real love is going to cost because it's going to challenge me to say, wait a minute, in this situation, if you're really committed to their good, you may have to put your interest second. I mean, is that a biblical concept? It's all over the scripture. But look how it's put in Romans 15, verse number 1. It says, we who are strong, Romans 15, 1, ought to bear the failings of the weak. Now, just stop with that. The concept here, it's an image, if you will, of bearing the failings of the week. I'm reminded of when I was in high school, we used to go on these backpack trips in the High Sierras. You'd always have the high schooler that couldn't make it, or he bought brand new boots like the day before the trip, and his, he's got big blisters, and he's just, he's just fallen apart. And so our youth pastor would say, well, what we need to do is lighten his pack. And, you know, you, you, and you, and Mike, you take some, and just carry part of their pack. Now, I didn't care for that, Right? I don't want more weight in my pack. This guy needs to grow up. He needs to get, I don't know, send him back. Leave him here. We'll come back. I don't know. I don't want to bear more weight in my pack. And yet the Bible says, listen, that's what love feels like. It feels like the fact that if I'm going to do good in that person's life, sometimes it's going to put a burden on me. Because, here's the kicker right here, bottom of verse 1, because it's going to mean I'm not dedicated to pleasing myself as a matter of fact you want the crystallized principle verse two each of us should please his neighbor for his good here's a great word a great phrase to build him up one greek word to edify him to put him up toward what toward christ likeness toward good and godly things i want to help him be the person god wants him to be and therefore i'm committed to his good But the problem is, it's going to cost me. The problem is, I may not be pleased in the process. Sometimes, in the negative, it's so crystal clear, I don't want to have that conversation. I don't want to confront them. I don't want to risk the relationship here. Real biblical love is costly. Does it feel good? Sometimes. But it's costly. Because what is biblical agape love? It's my commitment to your well-being, to your biblical good. Which means also, you need to know yourself. Maybe you're not the guy to pick the weight off the pack and put it on your back. Maybe you got some other kind of ability to lessen the load or to love that person or promote good. Barnabas was known as the son of encouragement. Remember that? Maybe he not been the powerful preacher the Apostle Paul was, but he had a way that he pushed people toward Christ's likeness. I mean, it was through his encouragement. The New Testament says this, that all of us have been endowed with an arsenal of abilities that allow us to do good in other people's lives. Spiritual gifts, if you want to call it that. You don't want to get to heaven having God say to you, I endowed you with these things for you to help people grow up in Christ. And you never use that stuff. Really, you said you loved people, but you didn't utilize and think through your arsenal of good, how you could endow other people or help other people or assist other people become more Christly. You, you didn't give it any thought. We need to be faithful administers of the grace of God that has been given to the church and to individuals in its various forms. The biblical good in other people's lives, that's what you need to do. And it needs to be thoughtful, it needs to be intentional, it needs to be purposeful, it needs to start with some planning. That's why I ask the question, what good can I promote? Book of 1 Corinthians, just in light of the final words, I love you all. Well, wow, look how Paul loved these people. He loved these people by writing this letter. How can we love the people that God has called us to love? And it won't always fit the pattern. As a matter of fact, as we work backwards through this text, check this out. Verses 21 and 22. He picks up the pen. He says, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. And the first thing he says is, if anyone does not love the Lord, a curse be on him. Now, that doesn't seem very loving. As a matter of fact, most people see that as fingers on a chalkboard. Here's this book and this context and this paragraph about love. And all of a sudden, he's saying, oh, and by the way, a curse be on you if you don't love God. Is that loving? It's a tough kind of love because it involves truth that maybe people don't want to hear. But it's loving. Biblical love, it speaks the truth. And sometimes that truth is, wow, it's not what we expect. If our expectation is, my relationships with people that I love ought to always feel good, sometimes our friendships are going to feel a little bit like going to the dentist. What is your expectation going to the dentist? It's not fun. But you know what? Why do you put up with it then? Some of you don't. You're feeling guilty. Fine. Go see the dentist. But the bottom line is, you feel like this is important because I know the good, the ultimate good of my teeth hangs in the balance here. If I don't, if I avoid this pain, because I'm assuming he's committed to the good of my teeth. So we're willing to put up with it. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. See, that's the truth of Scripture. And that's because biblical love involves the truth. And the truth needs to be told. How do we speak the truth? Ephesians 4, speaking the truth in love. We grow up spiritually into him who is the head. That's a great passage. Not only do we speak it in love, it is motivated by love. Truth should be motivated by love. And that is I love you enough to tell you the truth. And how many of us can have our golf partner we've golfed with 18 times and we've never brought up the reality of the fact that if you don't align your life with Christ, you're in big trouble. Don't tell me you love that guy. Don't tell me you're friends because You're not. Can you imagine that guy getting killed in a car accident and going standing before God just before he gets tossed into the lake of fire saying, well, man, I had a friend I played golf with every week and he never mentioned the fact that if I don't align my life and you're sitting there saying, well, I didn't want to offend him. Paul's not didn't have a problem saying that. Right in the middle of a section, it's all about how much he loves them. Oh, and by the way, if you don't love the Lord, you're in big trouble. Speaks the truth. Now, I'll tell you what, that's not the culture we live in that wants to speak the truth, but we need to speak the truth. Speak the truth in love. What important truths am I avoiding? Proverbs 27, five says, Better is open re- rebuke than hidden love. would be better to hear the truth from you than someone who says they love you, but, you know, they're holding back. Or how about this one? Next verse. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy will multiply kisses. And you've got friends like that. They're not your friends because they're not willing to tell you the truth. And I don't want you to be a friend like that to people because it's not real friendship. You've got to speak the truth sometimes. Let me give you a little footnote before you start wounding all your friends in love this week. <laughs> Be careful. Are you really saying this because you're committed to their good? i got to check my motives. And by the way, when you're done checking your motives, make sure you check your methods before you go around wounding your friends in love. Check your methods. I read in the newspaper this morning that uh, there was a South Carolina cop that came to a nursing home and used his taser on a 75-year-old elderly woman there. He's in big trouble right now because they're thinking, maybe you didn't need to zap her, right? (laughs) Maybe she needed correction. I'm sure she did. But maybe that was a little bit over the top. Just know this. There's a balance to biblical love. The purpose is a commitment to your good. What's the balance? Look at the first two verses in our passage. First Corinthians 16, verses 19 and 20. As Paul's wrapping up this last paragraph, he begins with this. The churches in the province of Asia send you greetings. That's a very warm and kind word. Priscilla and Aquila greet you warmly in the Lord, the NIV translates it. Oh, and also, so does the church that meets in their house. They send you lots of greetings too. Greetings, 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 greetings. And I know that's just kind of a word we toss around today, but it had quite a bit of meaning to the early church. The word is literally to salute. They're giving respect. They're giving honor. They're giving love. They're sending tenderness. It's the best they can do long distance to send a hug to these people. Biblical love, number three, it seeks to comfort. It really wants to comfort. It's not just all about truth truth is what it is in truth we need to, to promote and truth we need to speak but we need to speak the truth in in love it needs to be that my relationship with you is also one that is affirming one that sends you warm greetings jesus put it this way in john 13 he says by this all men will know that you're my disciples if you build really nice buildings you know the passage right by the height of your steeples how are people supposed to recognize that we're followers of christ If you have, do you know the verse? By this all men will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. And love is not the sentimentality that the world thinks it is. Love is not going around being nice and pleasant to each other and hoping we don't offend each other. Love is a real sold out commitment to the good of the people. I say I love. And that means truth even when it's tough. But it's all about love. Let's understand it and let's get to work at it this week.
0: sold out for love, even when it's tough. You're listening to Pastor Mike Fabares on Focal Point with a thought-provoking Q&A session and a message on biblical love. Now to hear the full uncut version, go to focalpointradio.org. You're also welcome to send the message to a friend or loved one who could benefit from Pastor Mike's teaching. At Focal Point, we're passionate about delivering accurate and relevant Bible teaching on the radio, over the Internet, via podcast, and on the Focal Point mobile app. It's an act motivated by the love of God, but we can't do it alone. It's people like you who partner with us financially who make this program possible. And as a lean operation that puts every dollar into advancing our mission, we couldn't be more grateful for your partnership. So if you believe in the value of straightforward Bible teaching, will you stand with us so we can continue getting the word out? When you donate this month, we'll send you Dr. Jeremiah Johnston's popular and practical book titled, Body of Proof, The Seven Best Reasons to Believe in the Resurrection of Jesus and Why It Matters Today. Culture is doing its best to convince the world, and us, that there is nothing special about Jesus, and too many Christians never get beyond a Sunday school understanding of their faith. In Body of Proof, acclaimed apologist and scholar Dr. Jeremiah Johnston reveals why Jesus' victory over death is central to a believer's faith and how His resurrection gives us power. Request your copy when you donate to Focal Point by calling 888-320-5885 or donate online at focalpointradio.org. Well, Easter is just around the corner, and if you have questions about the events leading up to this significant celebration, then get in touch to request your free copy of Palm Sunday to Easter. This booklet is packed with maps and diagrams that walk you day by day through the week leading up to Jesus' death and resurrection. It's free to request when you get in touch with us at focalpointradio.org. Well, I'm your host, Dave Druy. Be sure to come back again next time as we continue exploring God's Word right here on Focal Point. program was produced and sponsored by Focal Point Ministries.